0: monday as always i'm here to make sure that you get off to an amazing start of this week if you're new to the podcast and our community make sure you hit the follow button that is that little button up in the right corner which is like a plus button or something similar to that which will make sure that you get updates to your player with all the new episodes coming out on this show so that you won't miss out on anything that we bring out in the future Today's episode is a guest interview or really a conversation with the amazing John Haim. John is the president of John Haim Performance. For over 25 years, he has prepared some of the leading amateur professional athletes and teams in the world to go beyond where they believe they could go. Some of the leading performers in the sports and corporate world trust John and his team. And he's the author of two best best-selling books on performance and wellness, including Ride Big for Equestrian Athletes. And John doesn't just talk and theorize about area of performance and wellness, he has lived it and lives it in every day. He's a former tournament professional golfer with professional wins and day by day helps clients perform at extraordinary levels. And today we talk about confidence, performance, we give actionable tips that you can take with you in your equestrian life and make sure that you become the absolute best equestrian athletes that you can. Hello, John. Welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on here. I know we will have so much to talk about today. You've written an amazing book, which we are going to talk to about in all detail, obviously. Um, But before we dive into the book and the theme of the book, let's say, do you want to tell the listeners who you are, what you do, what got you into equestrians, what got you into performance and the coaching that you do?
1: Wow. Do you have an hour, Jocelyn? (laughs) I'll I'll keep it very short. So, uh my name is John Haim. Uh I live in Ottawa, Canada. Uh I have clients all over the globe, which is super fun for me. I have Canadian clients, but I have clients all over the globe with a focus primarily on the on the US market. Um I I work in human performance. So, I I work in three different spaces, I would say. I work in sports, I work in corporate, And i work in the arts too so anything that requires performance is where i work and i work with those types of people or performant or performers so um human performance coach is probably the best label for me and uh, how i got into equestrian yes that's a very good question um i played professional sports when i was younger And then I acquired the education to to give myself competency in what I do now, which is, like I said, a human performance coach. But um, about probably seven years ago, Jocelyn, a, a friend of mine asked me to help his daughter, who was a meter 20 show jumper. And I told him that I couldn't help him, I didn't think, because I didn't know enough about equestrian sport. Now, I work in all sports. I work in every sport. I work in the PGA Tour, NBA, ATP, tennis, uh, you know, NFL, football, Major League Baseball. I work in them all, hockey, uh, professional hockey. But uh, I had dabbled in those sports a little bit younger, and I had never had experience with, uh, with horses, except that my father had some race horses when I was growing up. So I hung out at the barn, and I loved being at the barn. It was so fun but that was when i was uh, sort of a young child so i anyway so i told him i'd come out and see her and we talked and i was fascinated by the whole thing the first time i saw it with the connection with the horse and the you know the role of the trainer and how everything fit together so so I, I told her after I'd take her on, but I'd have to educate myself. So I talked to trainers. I talked to coaches. I went to clinics. I, I, I took riding lessons. I learned how to ride myself to the point where I could, you know, jump over poles and that sort of thing. But I wanted to understand the feelings of, and the connection between the rider and the animal. So I spent quite a bit of time doing that over about a two year period. So I helped her. And then as a result of helping her, you know, other people were seeing that she was doing better. So I started to connect on with uh, other riders and their parents. And then I had uh, a show jumper through horse network in Toronto. Um, A professional show jumper called me and he was he was needing help. He wanted to lower himself in the world rankings, and he didn't think he could do it without exploring all aspects of performance. And one of them is the mental and the emotional piece. And we'll talk about that later, about the pieces of the performance model and why it's important to really focus on them all. You have to. But so he wanted guidance in that. So I worked with him for about 10 months, and we took him from, I think, about Five hundred and something in the world down to about a hundred in the world. So we tweaked some things. We had him focused on the right things. What's important? Um, we built a structure for him, and he really did well. So that's when kind of the practice around equestrian took off a little bit uh, when people saw what he was doing and and that he was improving quickly. So that's how I got into it. And there was a lot of education around it, though, uh, Jocelyn with, you know, really reading a lot. Uh, I read a lot of books, uh, primarily about horses and horse training. I wanted to understand that side of it. I understand the other part of it, but I wanted to understand that part of it. So that's how it all came about. Uh, I, you know, I, I I took one client and then it just kind of mushroomed from there. But I've really enjoyed equestrian sport because it's so different. The relationship between the horse and the rider is fascinating. And uh, it's so different from any other sport. All the other sports really... can't, can't bring that sort of a dynamic to it. You have the team aspect. I work with a lot of teams, professional teams, et cetera. And you have the team aspect and the, the dynamic between the roles on the team, but the, but the animal, but an animal and a human being is just so different. So I loved it. It's fascinating. And, and I continue to love it. And that's why I wrote the book. I, I wanted to do something for equestrian athletes.
0: I absolutely love that. There's so many things in there that that really fascinates me. Uh, I first of yeah. all, I love your commitment. How you are like, okay, I haven't been doing this sport, but you know, give me give me a bit, and I'll I'll figure it out. And I absolutely love that you that you actually taught yourself how to ride and and to that level because, like you say, uh, it is really different. And uh, you have that whole dynamic with the horse, and that adds so much extra challenges. Let's say, um, and uh, and I think. That makes the equestrian sport also very interesting. Like we we are constantly learning, and there's always things that can be improved, which is very interesting. And why mm-hmm. for a lot of us, it's a, like a lifelong journey. But that also makes it so challenging. And why I personally also think the need for people people like us that do that kind of coaching and and talk about the mental part of it and the performance side of it that that is so needed, probably more than in any other sport. Would you Would you agree about that?
1: Yeah, I think. So, Jocelyn, one thing that I and the reason why I wrote the book and the reason why I got into it in the first place is I really found that uh, equestrian sport was was quite far behind in the human development piece, primarily, I think, just because uh, traditionally the sport focuses on the horse and the training of the horse and the trainers really are experts in training the horse and they're not necessarily experts in training the human being or the rider so so there there was so much opportunity really to to open things up make suggestions talk to people why don't you try this um so that was really cool but i I think it's starting to close. The gap is starting to close. It's, it's nowhere closed yet because I work in so many different sports and there's really, uh, there's really been a commitment and a high level of, uh, a high level of education around, uh, the mental and the emotional piece and athletes understand that they will never get to where they want to go or reach their potential unless they, They explore that. Now, some athletes are highly, highly talented in that area, naturally, which is great, but most need help. And. um, And I I think it's starting to change a little bit in equestrian sport, Uh, riders are recognizing that, hey, I'm 50 percent of the equation here, so I have to be at my best, too, in order to to really contribute to this partnership and maximize the potential of the partnership. So I think it's really important for for uh, equestrian athletes to explore this area. Now, there's four pieces of, of a performance model. There's the technical part. Right. And we all know what that is uh, we, with respect to riding the balance, the legs, the hands, the lead changes, all those things that you that you that you have to have competency in. And you train those with the horse. Then there's the physical physical part. And I find now that equestrian athletes are focusing more on the physical part. You're finding more of them go to the gym training programs because you need that physicality. It's a physical sport. People don't realize outside of the sport, how physical it really is, especially if you're riding a physical horse. Um, it's a physical challenge. So you need the physicality to support the technical pieces that you're working on. And then there's the strategic piece, and you have to understand the sport. So when you go in the ring, what's going on? How do I execute a course? And how do I process that horse? And you could almost put horsemanship into that area too. And then there's this mysterious part that a lot of people don't focus on. I call it the sort of the top piece of the performance model because it supports all of the others. That's the mental and the emotional piece. And that's that piece is really critical because performance starts in the mind. So you really have to you know, build a plan to work on those skills, too. So I think if you're working on the technical part, the physical part, the strategic part, and the mental and the emotional part, you're really giving yourself an opportunity to maximize your abilities. Um, If not, if you leave one of them out, then you're leaving it to chance that you may not reach where you want to go or enjoy the sport as much as you want to enjoy the sport also. So yeah, so it's really fascinating, but I think equestrian sport is starting to get up to speed and starting to focus on it. But a lot more work needs to be done in that area in order for uh, um, the rider to bring that really maximum, you know, ability to uh, to the partnership.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And like you say, it's a 50-50% partnership, eh? but we tend to spend yeah. the resources, the time, the money, everything into the horse up to 99%, I'd say. And I feel so many Christians, they're sort of like, my horse this, my horse that, and we treat them sort of like royalties. But then when it comes to ourselves, we will eat shit food, we won't spend any money on massage or any of those kind of stuff, we may, we spend like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds each month. On like a chiropractor for the horse, a physiotherapist for the horse, like it's it's just incredible. And, and I think so many riders are like, Yeah, but I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Not realizing, like sort of playing the hero, not realizing that they're actually that's what's ruining their performance. That is the one piece that is missing for most equestrians, I'd say. And I, I do think we're we're catching up, we're not quite there yet. There's a lot of awareness to be done, but like you say, it's it's going in the right direction. And uh A lot of people start to work out, all those kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's a positive development going. And I think the book that you put out, and that's why I love, you know, every kind of material that you can put out there about this to create that awareness of how important this is. Um, So maybe, you know, you talked about those different performance pieces. Do you want to dive in a little bit deeper into detail as to how you can improve within those
1: areas? The four pieces of the performance model, do you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we all know how you can improve the technical part. Like you have to evaluate, what am I good at? And what am I not good at? What's holding me back? Um, And have a real honest conversation with a trainer, for example, on what skills you're going to develop, what is important to develop. So you have to do an accurate assessment. That's all part of the whole confidence thing. Self-awareness is a massive part of self-confidence yep. it pre- it precedes confidence because in order to really believe in something you have to understand it first yep. it's best to understand it so I, I think you know that sort of brings in uh, uh, self-awareness pieces the idea of getting feedback from people how yep. do I become a better rider how can mm-hmm. I technically become a better rider what am I mm-hmm. doing wrong mm-hmm. um You know, how can I develop maybe better feelings that uh, that will help me, you know, uh, become a better technical rider? Mm -hmm. And then you then you can transition to the physicality. I think it's really important to be fit to to ride a horse and to maximize your abilities. So whatever you can do to do that, there's all sorts of personal training now in equestrian sport. I know a lot of my clients do things like pilates to strengthen the core and the legs and and i think that's important too that can really help because that helps with posture and posture is so important in balance in any sport notwithstanding how important it is in equestrian sport the idea of posture and being able to sit up and be able to you know have your seat in the right spot so Um, that's important. So you can work on that. And then strategically understand the sport, go to clinics, talk to people who are real experts about horses and about the sport and go to big classes and learn. I mean, I find it fascinating when I'm in Wellington often that People, you know, you can go in the ring and walk with the, you can do a course walk with the best riders in the world. That's the fascinating thing about equestrian sport is you can get so close with the best in the world and you can even ask them questions. Like you could ask them questions after a class. So do that, understand how to understand the sport, understand how to be better at the sport, the strategy of the sport. If it's show jumping, yes. If it's dressage, yes. If it's eventing, yes. Um, you literally could ask somebody like Michael Young at an eventing, you know, at a horse trial, you could ask him a question, probably if you could find him. So you can't <laughs> do that at other sports. You can't do that in other sports. The the athletes are so far removed from the audience. But in equestrian sport, it's so fun that you can actually do that. And then the mental and the emotional piece. Well, that's sort of the sweet spot that where I kind of pay attention to And there's so many things you can do there we can talk about we'll talk about confidence we'll talk about all these different pieces emotions your own voice um uh and all sorts of activities and exercises you can do to build focus and to get your mind in the right place and and focused on the right things and what's important in the sport and not sort of on things that create fear and create distraction and create interference for uh the other pieces too right because all the pieces are so connected we sometimes talk about them as separate pieces but they're all interwoven the technical the physical the strategic and the mental and emotional are so interlinked they can't, it's difficult for them to work without the other and which one is most important well I think they're all important, like they're all equally important. You have to be technically sound. You have to be physically sound. You have to be strategically sound. And I think you have to be, your mind has to be in the right place and you have to be mentally and emotionally sound. You know, sometimes people will try to convince you that the mental, the part that I work in, the mental and the emotional piece is more important. And I don't know if that's the truth. I I think that they're all equally important and you can arbitrarily assign different, uh, percentages to them all, but if we give them all twenty five percent, where I have a, a maybe a little bit more of a, a lean towards the mental and the emotional, it might be a little bit more than that. But um, I think if we give them all an equal share, I think we'd you know we'd probably be close to 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 what it is. So anyway, so yeah, you, I think like you said, I think you have to focus on them all and give them all equal attention.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And what I what I love that you said in the beginning is like it you gotta be quite analytical. And I think that's where a lot of people maybe don't do as much as they could, let's say, where they reflect, they ask people, they create a self awareness. Where am I right now? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What specifically can I do to improve on that? I see a lot of people they just sort of stuck in that wheel of just they just do. They just do. They go to their lessons, the same people, they do the same yes. things, and they don't seem to be improving. Whether if they would just stop and really Think about it and start to ask for feedback. Start to talk to people that have a lot of knowledge. They could like do so much more with the tam- time that they can, uh, the time that they're putting into it already.
1: Yes, there's so much opportunity to improve. So every every training, um, every person you talk to, every show class you you participate in those are all learning opportunities. So you, you have to look at it that way. You know, it's funny. Um, typically equestrians focus on when they come out of the ring, for example, they focus on sometimes the wrong thing. So they'll focus immediately on the mistake, obviously. Right. But there's so many things that you can learn from, from that particular class. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably talking about the things you do well. So, you know, if you go in, let's say you go in a ring and there's 13 fences and you knock one pole down, well, you've had 12, uh, 12 successful experiences, right? So you have to evaluate that and understand why that went well. What did I do in training that, that helped me do well? And how can I improve on each one of those? Not just the mistake, but how can I improve on each one of those? Can I do them better? And then you can always look at the mistakes, but I find that there's such a focus in equestrian sport on the mistakes because you talk about four faults. You're yeah. always talking about four faults or one rail down or a time fault. I'm talking about show jumping here, whatever it is. So there's always that focus. It's not, you know, I had 12 fences up. You know, I try to get my clients thinking that. You know, I come out of the ring and you have one pole down, but you also had 12 fences up that you navigated and negotiated very well. Right. And, the, you know, the canter was really good and the rollbacks were good and the, the turns were all great. And so there's a lot of things to look at. So I think if you can get on that track with yourself a little bit and. Really learn incrementally one little tiny thing every time you experience equestrian sport, then that really adds up. If you look at it over the course of one year, perhaps, or, you know, we were talking before we started recording about Wellington. And spending three months every single day training and working and and learning your horses and, and showing and training and doing all sorts of things. But if you can learn one little tiny thing each day over three months, then that's pretty be pretty great. And you you really can progress. And that's how we move the clients forward, Mm -hmm. we incrementally find little tiny pieces where we can move them forward. And that's how the story I told how you can move somebody from 500 in the world down to 100 in the world in 10 months. Think about that. That's not that long of a time. But if you each week, if you find something, you know, over 10 months, that's 40 weeks. And if you can find 40 things that you can improve on or learn something, then there's that's a, that's a big opportunity there to, uh, to improve in the sport and get better. So, um, yeah, there's so much opportunity, isn't there?
0: Yeah. Amazing. Um, I feel like we it was funny when we planned out this episode, we were like, we're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about that. But then we also knew that this was going to happen. We were just going to start talking about something and then we were going to sort of just continue talking about that forever. Uh, I want to steer the conversation slightly towards the topic that I find is really, really important. I, I have a group coaching program. It's called PEP, the Positive Equestrian Performance Program. And a lot of riders in there, I find that the biggest challenge or struggle that they are having is that they don't think they're good enough Uh, and to me that means that their confidence is not quite what it's what it could be let's say and that there's room for improvement there Um, and obviously this this book of yours ride big when I read that I feel like that whole whole, that whole book is all about building confidence so obviously that's a topic that I really want to talk to you about Um, do you maybe want to start with explaining ride big like what does that mean the whole term of it
1: yeah, so um, there's a little story behind that, Jocelyn. When I was sitting in Wellington with uh, some riders, we were watching a big show class. I think it was a five star. So I we were sitting around. You probably saw the round tables at the at the show ring, right? So we're all sitting there. We're watching a five five star. So one of the riders, I, we watched the riders come in, and they, you know, they go through the course. Then they'd exit and. One of the riders asked me, what did you think of that rider, the way they were riding? And um, I said, that rider's riding small. You can tell by the body language, by the quality of the riding, by the risk factor, by – they didn't look like they were trying to win. It was a five-star, and it was a big class, and typically in those classes – you know sometimes you're 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 grooming a horse a little bit right and you're not necessarily trying to win but uh in this particular class a lot of the riders uh i think were trying to win it there was a good it was good money and it was a prestigious class so they had their best horse lined up for this uh for this class so i said that rider's riding small and i listed the reasons why i thought that and then another rider came in and they said what do you think of that rider and I said, well, that rider's riding big because they're they're taking some risk. You could see they carved back there on a rollback a little bit to save a bit of time. Um, they angled, a f- they were angling some fences. They were doing all these things necessary to win, and they looked really confident coming in the coming in in the saddle. They looked confident, like the horse. The ears were up. The horse was ready. It looked like there was a nice connection between the horse and the rider. So. I said, that rider's riding big, and that's that's how you want to ride. You want to ride big, which is riding with confidence and knowing you can do it. So that's how Ride Big came about, is just that story about you know sitting with the riders and sort of differentiating and helping them understand what the difference is between riding small and riding big. And uh, everybody, if you say that, knows what it means. I rode big. I'm riding big. That means you're riding, you're maximizing your abilities, you're maximizing the abilities of the animal, the animal's feeling that you know what you're doing and that you're confident they can feel it through the saddle. So there's a synchronicity in the partnership that's really nice because the rider is confident and the and the horse feels that. So that gives the horse a little bit more wings too, I think, to, to get it done. So... So yeah, so that's how Ride Big came up. And it's all basically around the idea of confidence. And I I'm tr- I tried to help people it, um, understand in Ride Big what confidence is, because I think confidence can be confusing for people. If you asked 50 people what confidence means, you'd probably get 50 different responses about what it means in 50 different stories. So I tried to... Define as best I could what confidence is and then take the reader or take the person reading right big through the path of building confidence, how to do that, what it is, first of all, how to build it and then understand what the threats are to confidence, too, that you have to be aware of. So that's sort of the that's that's sort of the chronology of the book and uh and it was fun uh creating it that way and you know there's so many pieces to confidence as you saw in the book too the ideas of you know the comfort zone the pressure the self awareness your own voice there's so many factors that could potentially impact confidence and i think you have to understand them all and you have to have perspective around them all so that you can you know develop your own sort of brand of confidence too and and uh, sustainably have it that's what we're trying to do with with the with our clients is have them sustainably have confidence not just have it sometimes or once in a while but have help them understand it to the point where they can sustainably have it
0: yeah i love that sustainably have it and and also i guess the moments, I mean, things are going to happen, right? Yes. Uh, and that's probably, you know, the emotional piece of of, of the whole puzzle, let's say. Uh, certain yes. things will trigger you in certain ways, trigger certain emotions, and how you in those situations can, like, regain your confidence, I suppose, is the, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but, you know, that you can actually become confident again. So let's say something happens in the middle of the course, it triggers you in some kind of way, rather than going down in a negative spiral, how you can actually regain confidence and finish the course strong.
1: Yeah, well, you know, confidence shouldn't uh it really should not go up and down. Like you if you're doing the if you're doing things properly, if you're training properly, if you're speaking to yourself properly, if you're doing all the pieces you need to build confidence, you should be over time building this. And I call it just a thick wall of confidence. It's getting thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. And you're becoming more competent and better at what you do. So it gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And nothing should ever knock you off that if you're, if you have the right perspective and you have the right mindset, nothing should knock you off that. Now, the difficulty in sports is that sport is difficult. So you're going to go through cycles of down periods and up periods. So you're not always going to be at your best. It's impossible. And you're not always going to win. Because, you know, there's certain times where maybe you're not feeling great. Maybe your horse isn't quite right. Uh, That's fine. You have to learn through those periods and get closer to winning through those periods. But it doesn't mean that you're not confident. It means that you're building and you're still confident. I think many athletes, many riders, they give away confidence far too easily. They'll say to you, I've lost my confidence. And it's really not the truth. They haven't lost their confidence. They're they're in a little bit of maybe a down period. And, you know, like I said, in sports, there's down periods, there's up periods, and it goes in cycles. It's just the way it is. You can't be good or great all the time. It's impossible. Just by the nature of sport, the nature of competition, others are going to be better sometimes, and sometimes you're not going to be at your best. But it doesn't mean you're not confident so um, that's one thing that gets confusing i think for athletes is they they give away their confidence far too easily i have athletes calling me who are the best in the world at what they do and they say i've lost my confidence and i kind of laugh and i say no (laughs) no you haven't lost your confidence your confidence is still there you're in a little cycle right now where maybe you're not scoring or maybe things aren't going as well as you'd like So just keep working at it. Maybe talk to coaches, tweak something a little bit. And then two weeks later, they'll call me and say, hey, John, my confidence is back. And I say, well, it never left. Trust me on that. (laughs) It, It was always there. So and I always warn my athletes and equestrians to be very careful how you talk about confidence. And you can't say that you've lost it or Anytime you have sort of a negative spin on confidence, it's, uh, you're, you're, you're giving it away and you work so hard to build confidence. It takes a long time to build it through training and competency and, and, you know, building skills. So you don't want to give it away easily. Um, you want to make sure you covet it and keep it. And, um, I think it's, it's one thing that athletes have to pay attention to, um, and equestrians are are no exception to that, that you, you have to just be careful on how you treat it and that you can't give it away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. It's terminology, right? And perspective. What yes. perspective that you choose to yes. take on it and what how you choose yes. to describe it by your... Confidence might still be there, but because you're saying I lost all my confidence, it's it's how you label it. That's what makes you lose your confidence. But it was there all the time, right? Um, yes, so- of
1: course it is. You've done the work. You've done the work. You know you can do it. You're at the – like I, I have these athletes who are at the top of the world at what they do. They're the best 50 in the world at what they do. So it takes – unbelievable amount of effort and talent and all these different things to get to that point so you don't just lose confidence Um, you allow it to to disappear and you give it permission to disappear you have to give it permission to disappear so you have to be really careful that it is a perspective for sure
0: yeah, I love that. So talking about and um, building confidence, I suppose that's what everyone is sort of on their toes right now. They're like, well, how how do I build it then? I've heard it takes a long time, but like, what do I do? How do I build confidence?
1: Yeah, so uh, many ways, Jocelyn. Uh, it's complex and there's many ways to do it. Um, in the book, I talked about the building blocks, right? So I talked a little bit previously about self-awareness and I think understanding yourself and knowing yourself is really important in the picture of confidence. So that means your purpose, why you do it, your values, uh, understanding you know things about yourself like your strengths, what are your limitations? So you don't angle yourself towards your limitations and you understand what they are. There's so many pieces to it. Um, and then the next that I've, there's so many pieces to self-awareness. Uh, you know, feedback. You know, listening to others, but understanding what to listen to and what to filter out too. Assessment. We talked about. You know, being able to accurately assess a performance and then take the really good things from it. So that's self-awareness. Being able to do that. Um, you know, really. Paying attention to what you can and can't control too, you know, athletes, performers, we all do. We all pay attention to things that are completely out of our control and give it way too much credence. So you have to be careful when you do that. You have to really understand what you can and can't control and focus on, on, you know, putting your focus on what you can control and completely eliminating what you can't control. And there's so many, the list of things you can't control is far longer than the things you can control. Right? So you have to pay attention to that. So I I think self-awareness is the first one. The second one is the actual training and understanding how to train and build competency. So we talked about the performance model, build competency in all the pieces. So technical, physical, strategic, mental, emotional, uh, you have to understand all those pieces and work on them. And then in the actual training, like for example, when you're training, uh, a horse or you're training the partnership, um, It's one of the pieces that people don't do that's really important if you want to build confidence is that when you're building skills, when you're building maneuvers, you have to test them, that they're going to work in the ring. You have to test. Uh, I find that athletes, equestrians, they they fear testing because they think they're going to fail and it's not going to work. So they don't test it. So they head into the ring with what they have and sometimes it's not ready or it's not good enough. So they find the, the mistakes are made and the, the problems you see the problems in the ring. I think in training, you have to get it worked out to the point where you, you know, you work on a maneuver, you build it, you build the skill, then you test it under pressure. Does it work? We, we, uh, we test all our athletes like before they go to big events or whatever, if they're changing something or they want to tweak something to maybe improve and move forward, it's always tested under lots of pressure so that when they get into the, when they get into the uh, event that they're going to, if it's a big event then they can believe that they can do it because they've done it in training. If you haven't tested it in training and you haven't done it under pressure, you're not sure when you get to a big event that you can do it. So that's where the confidence comes in. You're building that competency and then you're testing it and you know, you can do it under pressure. So you take that in and you can feel good, uh, under strain or under in pressure situations, if it's a big show class or whatever it is. Um, the next one in the uh, in the building blocks is your own voice, which is really critical, your own consciousness. What is it what is the voice telling you? Is it positive? Is it negative? Where is it coming from? What does it mean? What do these things mean? Is it telling you the truth? which is the big thing about the voice. Uh, you have to understand if it's telling you the truth because the tendency sometimes is for the voice not to tell you the truth. It will exaggerate. Um, Like you were saying too, the writers that you're working with, it's telling them things that maybe aren't necessarily the truth and it's creating this shrinking of confidence or shrinking of knowing they can do it. So that's a process too, to be able to reshape that voice and take yourself through a process to extract the truth from the voice and uh, build this really great supportive um support it's like a friend a supportive consciousness for yourself that that is real and will tell you the truth but you also often it like i said it won't tell you the truth so you have to be able to extract the truth from the voice so i would say those i know in the book i wrote about those kind of pieces as being the building blocks and then we we moved into other things that can certainly build confidence or take it away too but I think those three are big ones and I will tell you that at the end of the day you can train you can do all you want but if that voice acts up at the you know in a big event or at the final moment then you know that's a problem so that voice has to be shaped properly uh, you have to work on it you have to do the work and that's what I tried to do and ride big, give people a process to try to extract the truth from their own voice. So uh, and it you have to have something like I, I wanted to give people an exercise or a, a practical vehicle to be able to understand their own voice and then to be able to sort of reshape it and and create more of a supportive force um, in the riding. So, yeah, those are the those are the three building blocks we talked about. And we could talk about each one for three podcasts, you know,
0: I, I'm sure but, we could. <laughs> yeah.
1: But those are the those are the three kind of biggies, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's interesting when you talk about that that inner voice. Right. I, I did a story on my on, on Instagram a while back and I asked uh, people just like in a poll, are you your biggest critic or your biggest supporter? And 75 percent they they mark that they're their biggest critic, which is, you know, it's it's I, I'm not surprised, but but also it, it speaks a really clear language. If you are your biggest critic all the time, that is that is I, I suppose breaking down your confidence all the time. All the work you're doing to build it up, the fact that you're constantly talking shit to yourself is gonna have a massive impact.
1: It is gonna, yeah. It is gonna have a massive impact, and I think the tendency too for human beings is to be a bit negative because we're trying to protect ourselves, right? It's like crossing the street. Hey, John, be careful. Jocelyn, be careful. There's a car coming. You know, you don't want to. You better not go out there now. So we're always trying to keep ourselves safe and protect ourselves. So. So that's why you have to, and in performance, it's a different story. You have to be proactive and you have to be aggressive. If you want to win, you have to be proactive and you have to be aggressive. And and all of this is sort of, you know, attached to confidence too. So I think that voice has to be, you know, in the right spot. And that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I I totally believe that because that's my experience too. And I'm surprised it's that low because I think most people are, very self-critical of themselves. And they're very intolerant too. They're not tolerant of other people, they're not intolerant of other people because you'll see, you know, for example, if your friend goes in the ring and they mess up or they do something that, you know, didn't look great to the audience, the first thing you do is run over and say, hey, it's okay, don't worry about it, it'll be better next time. But if you go in the ring and you do it, guess what? Guess what you're saying to yourself. You're not saying that you're not talking to yourself like you're talking to your friend, but you're talking to yourself in a different manner. There's a different voice. So, so yeah, that, that, that your numbers on Instagram don't surprise me for sure. And I think that people have to work on that. If you want to be confident, you have to accept yourself, and you have to accept certain things, and and that voice has to be shaped properly. So you can work on that voice too. It's there's a process to work on it.
0: Do you want to do you want to dive in? I always say it's it's there's a long process, but this is something that I also really loved about the book how you put structure to everything. You take all the theory and you put it in such a cool structure, which is really easy to follow and sort of step by step, different frameworks, how to do it. Uh, and obviously, people can go and read the book. I really hope they do so they get all the information. But just like really quickly, what is something that someone can do to sort of start working with their inner voice?
1: Well, I think you have to. Uh, you have to. You know, if the voice pops up and and says something to you, you can't do that, or you you're not ready for this class. Then okay, so let's use that one as an example. You you get into the starting gate. Let's say it's we'll use show jumping as an example. You get into the starting gate, and all of a sudden the voice pops up and says, "Oh my God, I'm not ready for this class. I cannot do this. It's not going to go well. I'm going to embarrass myself." And then it just it cascades and spirals into that sort of talk in your head, right? So you have to calmly just step back and say, just one moment here. um, And you have to push back on the voice and challenge the voice and see if it's the real truth. So so let's say the voice starts acting up and says, you're not ready for this. You're, You're not. You push back and say, I just had a fantastic week of training. And my trainer put me in this class knowing that I can do this and that I can I can get through this class. And it's, it's on my development path. So let's go in, you know, let's get a really nice canter going to the first fence and then just turn everything off and just execute it the way we did it in training. So you have to push back on the voice and challenge it and extract the truth from it. But you have to present in order for you to believe that it's not telling you the truth you have to present the facts to it so the facts are my trainer thinks i'm okay for this class i'm 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 more than a good enough rider right now to to handle this class the week of training has gone well my horse feels great and warm up everything has felt great so there's no reason why i can't go in there and execute well and 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 really do something today So I I think you need that little process. If you see in the book, it gets a little bit more detail in the book. And I think it's important to follow that detail. But I think basically you're challenging the voice. You're presenting facts to the voice um, against what the voice is saying to you. And maybe the other thing, Jocelyn, too, sometimes the voice may be right. Let's say you took the week off. um, You didn't want to train you're, you're, you're over at the barn and the, and your coach says to you, you know, this, this, this class might be a bit too much for you today, but let's just go ahead and do it anyway. So the voice might be telling you the truth sometimes that's okay. But most of the time, it's not telling you the truth. So you have to present the facts and feel good about the fact that, yes, I am ready for this class. Um, you know, not only am I think I'm ready, but my coach thinks I'm ready too, which is important, right? The coach can give you confidence too. So, um, so yeah, so that's how it sort of works, the voice, to reshape the voice. You have to have a little process to push back on the voice, to challenge the voice, extract the truth from the voice, present the facts to the voice, and then, you know, decide how you're going to proceed from there. So I'm just going to go, you know, a nice easy soft canter to the first fence i'm going to sail over the fence i'm going to roll back to number 2 and then away i go right not much thinking just just ride
0: yeah now it's it sounds really easy when you when you put it out like that and and again I know, but is it, it. it is
1: i i think people complicate it because they create the interference in the starting gate and then yes. instead of just allowing those good confident feelings to go into yourself and then go down into your horse, that voice starts acting up. You don't feel confident. The horse is kind of thinking, Oh my goodness, something's up here. You know, Mm -hmm. there's some anxiety here I'm feeling. And so the horse doesn't feel it either. So you, you really, for the sake of both you and the horse, you have to get that voice right in the starting gate and present the right the right arguments to it
0: absolutely i I do believe like what my mind goes when you're talking about like the voice could be right but most of the time the voice is not right yes Uh, i feel like doubt is something that creates a lot of anxiety so at that moment if you were to doubt like is the voice right now or not like how how do you know
1: well, you know what you've done. You know if you've trained. You know if you're ready. You know the 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 trainer's body language of the trainer saying, "Yes, you are ready for this. We have trained for this. Everything we've worked on the past two weeks is geared towards this class. We are so ready, and the horse is ready, and the horse is well trained, and everything's great. You know that you you have the you have the right stuff. But it's possible that. Maybe training hasn't gone well and maybe this class isn't quite the right class for you based on the training and based on what you've been working on and and based on, you know, maybe some of the interaction with the trainer over the two weeks, you know. So sometimes, sometimes that doubt can be real. And uh, so that's why you have to do the work. You have to be ready. You have to do the training. And you have to kind of decide in your mind and with your trainer that you are ready for that specific class. So, and you're right. I think I would say that most of the time the voice probably like you talked about 75% of people being self-critical. I would say that most of the time the voice is probably not right. Mm -hmm. It's, It's creating doubt out of nothing, really. It's just creating interference for you. So, I think you have a nice if you have a nice little process to push back on it and challenge it and present it the facts, then you're okay. You have the process and you say okay i'm I'm good to go now." So you step into the ring and you 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 execute the course the way you 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 plan with your coach,
0: yeah. Uh, I think you're right. Um, well, I know you're right. You know, you know this stuff so well, which is so, which is why it's so amazing to talk to you. The reason I was asking is because something I see seen a lot of writers as well is perfectionism. Perfectionism. Oh my goodness, the, it's 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 incredible. Do you have another right? podcast. Yeah, exactly. We, podcast, we're not going to dive. We're not going to dive into all details, but that, that's the reason I'm asking because I feel like a lot of writers also they will they will be ready for it, but then they will think that they're not because they are perfectionists. So they're looking for perfection. In their abilities, in their horse, in the circumstances before they will go to a show. So I do feel like there's a balance to be struck. Like you need to prepare properly and you need to feel confident and you need to have practice at home. But also there comes a time where you just need to go out and do it and just trust that you and your horse are ready.
1: Perfectionism is deadly uh, Jocelyn. I mean, of all the things I think that I see in sport, especially in equestrian sport, because equestrian sport, everything is so beautiful. The horse is beautiful. The clothes are beautiful. You know, the riders are beautiful. The pants are beautiful. Everything's beautiful. So, you know, it's, it's always trying to reach this standard, this unrealistic sort of expectation that, uh, that the rider is going to reach. And it's, It's so destructive because perfectionism makes you careful. It makes you frustrated. It makes you disappointed. It makes you ride small. It really does make you ride small because human beings are human. They make mistakes. We're not robots. So don't be surprised if you make a mistake because you're going to make a lot of them, right? So don't fear a mistake. You cannot fear mistakes. And the, the perfectionist fears mistakes. And that's a big problem. And that's big for the horse, a big problem for the horse. It's a big problem for the rider. And I just find that there's a bridge between um, perfectionism and what you're really trying to strive for, which is excellence, which is the best you can possibly do at that particular time. And it's acceptance. You have to accept yourself. You have to accept mistakes. You have to accept where you are in your development. And I think that... You know, it's it's insane really for, for riders to assume that you can be perfect because the horse isn't perfect, you're not perfect, the coach isn't perfect, uh, the ring's not perfect, the fences aren't perfect, nothing is perfect. So to assume that you can be perfect is, is uh, I don't know, it doesn't make sense at all. And, uh, you know, we're all human, we make mistakes, and we're not trying to make mistakes, but We must, in order to learn and in order to move forward and develop in what we're doing, we have to fail. We just have to fail because that's the way you move forward. So if you make mistakes, it's a small failure. But if you learn from that mistake, it's really invigorating the way you can move forward and develop as a writer. So um, I think writing is a lot more fun too if you're not a perfectionist. I see a lot of unhappy... equestrians who focus far too much on perfectionism and and it's just they're always unhappy they're always disappointed they're always frustrated and as opposed to the rider who is really enjoying the sport who is accepting that they're a human being they're going to make mistakes but learning from those mistakes moving forward and developing their skills is exciting and it's fun and it's enjoyable. And that's the attitude you have to have. I just, I feel really strongly about perfectionism because I see it really sort of create a lot of unhappy athletes. And I don't want to see that. I mean, we're, you know, in our business, we're trying to get, we're trying to help people achieve something. Yes. And we will do that. But You also want, you also want to help them enjoy it because that's their passion and that's their, it's not their job often, right? I work with professional athletes and it's their job. So that's a bit of a different story, but 95% of people who participate in sports, it should be primarily about enjoyment. It really should
0: yeah i couldn't have said it better myself 100% and there is a lot of people out there who they spend all this money all this energy into this and they're not right. enjoying it at the other end of the no. ride which is I crazy
1: i know and the perfectionism often is the is the is the mind it's the mindset but perfectionism is part of that and 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 that really um, tarnishes their experience in the sport so if you can let that go -hmm. Realize that you aren't perfect, and and allow yourself to make mistakes. Then it's it's okay. Like mistakes are okay. We're all going to make them. Believe me, I I, some of my athletes are like top five in the world, and I'll go and watch them play, and they're making mistakes all over the place. And that's the best in the world. So to assume that you're an amateur equestrian or an amateur whatever sport it is, and you're not going to make mistakes it's it's not real. It's not realistic. So you you are always going to make mistakes. But uh, as long as you learn from them, that's the main thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that we put this one. I know you have to go, but I love that we also included this one because I do feel like a lot of people will think they have to be perfect in training before they go to a competition. So I wanted to really highlight that that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about doing the work, but then also trust your gut that you've done You've done what's required and you're you're good enough to go out and compete. It's Don't expect it to be perfect in training before you go out competing. Perfection or perfect doesn't exist at all. No. You're never going to be perfect. So we're not saying be perfect before you go out competing. What we're saying is put in the work because that is what's going to make your confidence grow. But at a certain point, trust your gut. You're, you're good enough. Your horse is good enough. You've done the work. You can go out and have fun in a competition arena.
1: Yeah, I think the overthinking when they get in the ring is a real problem, obviously. And the, the brain really can only process one thought at a time. So when you put five thoughts in the starting gate in your mind, then it starts creating anxiety, it starts creating confusion. And then obviously, now we're talking about confidence, and it goes down into the horse and everything. So I think a good tip for riders would be Allow yourself one thought of think something you were working on that particular week and take that into the ring and, and try to try to really do well at that one thing in the ring. So if it's you're working on you did flat work all week, so you're working on the canter to each fence, right? or you're working on distances, or you're working on, you know, your turns, making them nice and round and, and, uh, or rollbacks or whatever it is, or lead changes, whatever, whatever the thing you're working on in training with your coach is, take that one thing into the ring. And then everything else has to go away and just dissolve and really try to do your best in that particular thing you're working on. And then you can get some joy that, Hey, we worked on it in training. I tested it in the ring. It worked. I love it. So now we can maybe move on to something else. Right. And have that one thought for the next, uh, for the next show class. You know, the, the other thing too, Jocelyn, just quickly is that uh, the the show class should be a reward always the training. We, we, we spend most of our time in our lives in sport training, and then we get to go to this incredible horse show or Olympics or whatever it is and that should be the joy and that should be the reward is that you get to go in uh in a class for example and you get to test your training and that's fantastic you get to see if your training's working and if your training's working then fantastic then you can go and evaluate and how I can move forward if it's not working then like the the show class gave you an opportunity to find out that okay now I know what I need to work on and this is what we're going to do to to improve and get better. So, there should be a lot of joy at. I find there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of nervousness and everything at uh, at the horse shows, and it, there should be a lot of joy there because it's an opportunity to really test your training, and uh, it's a, it should be a reward.
0: Absolutely. Like I couldn't agree more. I love that. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, John. I, I'm gonna. I know we need to wrap up because you have some clients coming after this call. But uh, thank you so so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming on here today and share your knowledge. It's been amazing. I've learned quite a few things today. Even though I'm, I'll call myself an expert in the in the topic, but there's always more things to learn. So I really really appreciate you coming onto the show today and sharing this knowledge with all the listeners. Is there any last piece that you feel like I I wanted to put this out there? I I wanted to tell the listeners about this.
1: I don't think so. I think the main thing, Jocelyn, is that if you want to improve, like we, we talked about off the top, you have to work on all the pieces. So focus on all the pieces and don't let one go. So if you if you need work in the the mental or the emotional piece or the mind piece, whatever you want to call that piece, performance piece. You have to take the time and and develop it. So if the voice, for example, if you're self-critical and the voice isn't right, that's going to impact the other pieces of the performance model. It's going to limit you. So you really need to work on all of them and pay attention, I think, to all of them. And um, and just learn. We're always trying to learn. I'm learning every day. You're learning every day. We're all learning every day. Even, you know you know i'm learning from you today too on our conversation so um i think if you can learn something you know through your equestrian journey each day one little thing then that's important you 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 can really develop uh, you can you can reach heights that you never imagined you 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 could reach um and you go way beyond you know, probably where you thought you could go. That's always my job, right? I, I try to close the gap for for people on where they are now to where they want to go. And if you do it properly and you 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 follow that path properly, um, there's no reason why you can't like have a vision and then get to that vision because uh, there's steps to do it.
0: Absolutely. I think yeah. that's, a... yeah, super. Thank you so, so much. Um... Thank you,
1: Jocelyn. You're great.
0: Amazing. So uh so just to finish off, um, where can people find your book? I'm 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 sure there's so many people Jeez. who are like, I need to read that book right now. And as I said, you definitely should. Where can they find it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I know in, in North America it's it's through the publisher, Trafalgar Square Books, Horse and Rider Books.com, or it's it's everywhere. So Amazon, all the all the online retailers the one great thing too, I like um, Jocelyn in North America is it's sold through tax shops. And so I like when people go into tax shops and they can pick up the book and look at it. And so it's sold through, through some really nice tax shops. Then in Europe, I think you'd, you'd probably be best. It's distributed. uh, I know through the UK and it's called Quiller, Quiller books, I believe in the UK, but it's available everywhere. It's on, Amazon and you can get it anywhere. So, um, but I do encourage people to have a look and and really sort of develop a process for yourself and highlight the book and find out what you like in the book. I know you sent me a few things that you really liked in the book, right? So I think everybody can find something in there that can really help the writing. So, Um. So I'm happy that people are liking the book, and I'm happy that people have a bit of a structure to kind of take themselves forward in their writing, which is nice.
0: Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, and uh, I wish you a great rest of your day.
1: Yes, thank you. You too.